Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, the headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Juan Burns, along with my counterpart, Savon Morris. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good. How's everything? It's going pretty good. Um, we have a lot of topics to get into today, as usual. But before we even start, I would, you know, it would almost be remiss of me not to mention it. Uh, we just got the news today of DMX's passing. Um, obviously, one of the most you know, legendary rappers of all time. Yeah. Um, in the early '90s, uh, had had the um, had the debut album that was, I, think, I believe, in '98. That was just just so influential, and it's out and even released a project later that year. And you know, especially with the Rough Riders anthem and all the influence that he had, he just he was one of those voices that everybody was just you know connected to. Um, this is devastating news, obviously for for the for the hip hop culture and just you know everybody um, associated with them, but. Do you kind of have just like any thoughts on his legacy? Obviously, this is such an untimely passing, but it's still one of those things where the legacy that he had, even the verses he did with Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg last year, he was given just so much, you know, praise and acclaim when he was still here and kind of got his flowers even before he left. Right. Man, one of the <laughs> one of the dopest rappers, realest rappers you'll ever see. He 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 spoke how he how he felt and what he thought about. He was never gonna sugarcoat anything. Man was just a legend, legend himself. The way he, you know, went out was, you know, kind of crazy. But I I, I love his authenticity authenticity. Sorry. Um, and I love the way I love the way he moved, you know what I mean? Um yeah. and as a rapper and as just a just a father, he he never shied away from his demons, he never shied away from him. His 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 shortcomings, but man, what a what a what a guy to let it all hang out and take all the blame and take all everything, man. Just a all around great guy, man. We just yeah. lost a real real legend. Absolutely, uh, definitely prayers prayers going out to his family. And, and before we move on, like he even said in one of his last interviews that he had, um, he was so excited for the next album he was going to drop, and it had features with you know Snoop Dogg, Alicia Keys, Pop Smoke. Zelda, Lil Wayne, Usher, etc. Um, just so many, even newer artists that he was going to have on that one. Um, in terms of just how you know people, how that gets released, like, is there a certain way that you feel as though they should properly commemorate him, or do you think it's one of those things where it's just letting time pass thoroughly before people can, like, even like Two Worlds passing, his album was dropped um, summer after his death. Like, it's it's really tough when you have to release a, a artist especially like artists like DMX album posthumously, but is there any way you, you think that it would be like properly put out for him just, you know, after the, after this death? I think new music would definitely be dope. And especially from the new age artists and from artists that we love from the past, from the nineties, two thousands, as well as his, his music that made him so popular and, and made him so uh, loved by millions it's, I always see this uh, one clip when he was, I think it was overseas. It was like a bunch of people singing the Rough Rider song. Yeah. Just, that's what the classic, energy. Classic yeah, clip. That's what the energy breathes. So if that album brings that same energy, that same that same dopeness that he's had since since the 90s, then yeah, I'm all for it. But I'm all for just remembering his old music and his influence on yeah. Aaliyah and just all these other things that he's done in the music game. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, uh, to start off with the topics that we have for, for this episode, um, dealing with Baylor's championship win and just thoughts on how convincing of a win it was, um, Baylor was able to end Gonzaga's undefeated streak Monday night as they were able to have um, an 86-70 win. And from the jump, you know, there were just dominance displayed as they got off to an early 9-0 lead in the opening two and a half minutes. Um, they also had an incredible shooting before shooting-wise as well, hitting at least seven threes and getting 16 offensive rebounds. Um, this is also their first na- national championship um, and their match versus Houston Mark the program's first final four po- appearance since 1950. Um, but in terms yeah. of just how convincing of a win this was for Baylor and them looking like the much superior team throughout, um, kind of what were your overall thoughts on the championship win for them? Because in the last episode, we kind of felt as though yeah. they may have been more at threat than Gonzaga was. Obviously, Gonzaga, they go down, have a, a classic finish against um, UCLA, but Baylor just really looked, looked like a superior team throughout the you know, I had Gonzaga winning, winning. Yeah, uh, and it was it was so surprised when it went up. I think it was an eight zero run, and then yeah. and it went to a nine one. I think it was off a free throw, off the foul. I was like, oh, okay, this All is right. different. <laughs> okay, now they this is the first team in a long time I've seen force Gonzaga to go through go to a zone, 
And I think the biggest thing I took from the game is how fast and slashers and how hot they were early on Baylor was. Those guards were different. This is the, I don't know that, well, I think one, I, I don't know if it's true or not. So on Twitter, it was like, oh yeah, we're, Gonzaga's a high score offense. Yeah, well, we, we live with the football team. And I was like, okay, that makes Man. sense because those offensive rebounds with second chance rebounds, that's what I like to call them. They had a yeah. lot of those. They were the more superior team. They were slasher. They had, it, it was a lot, bro. And then if Kisper is not on fire and I've seen this before, he went two from seven from three point line. Mm-hmm. He only had 12 points with 38 minutes. Sucks cannot do it by himself. That's how they got behind. I don't know where Gonzaga. If, we, I've seen Gonzaga get behind and come back and win. The game, previous game before, Sucks had to hit a, 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 a Hail Mary. They can, they can go on quick run, quick runs. They can, but not against this Baylor team. Not, I mean, not against this team. I did, <laughs> and they were hot. That's the, I think that's was the difference. They were hot early on. Yeah. And then Gonzaga, it took a minute for them to get there because, you know, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but they the second chance rebounds, the the guards being hot, them just slashing, a lot of pick and roll. Big men's was helping out. It was a lot of things Baylor were doing. Well, Baylor was doing, Gonzaga wasn't. And I was so surprised. They didn't look like Gonzaga. Excuse me, Gonzaga. Yeah, and, and and dealing with Gonzaga in terms of just like this loss possibly you know diminishing their previous excellence and just also how much of their dramatic UCLA UCLA win possibly um affected the regression. Um, you know, for for this team, they were on the verge of being the first undefeated team in 45 years and also bringing in the first national championship in program history. Um, you know, they were coming off, as I mentioned earlier, the dramatic game winner from Jalen Suggs and then now it feels like they're kind of in the same category of teams, you know, like the 91 UNLV team, even the 2015 Kentucky team, you know, having very dominant regular seasons, but not finishing things out. Um, in terms of just like, does this take anything away from what they did pre- previously? Obviously winning it all is, is really all that matters. But mm-hmm. do you also think that having such a dramatic win in the final four, that going down to the wire, did you see like any of that just aftermath with, in the, Kind of carrying over to the, to the championship game where they kind of looked a little lethargic in the beginning and just not as sharp with the same energy. I I don't think it tarnished what they did this season. I just think they were unprepared. I think they mm. they took Baylor for granted. They didn't think Baylor was going to be hot that fast. I don't think anybody expected Baylor to be that hot and mm. do the things they did um in the front court or backcourt. But I think for when it comes to Gonzaga, I think they're still going to be a special team because they were close to close to doing that. But like you said, winning the championship, that's all that matters. So yeah. I, I don't think, I, I think the season will be, you know, really dope, but everybody will remember Baylor beat the number one, the other number one seed that was undefeated and they beat them convincingly. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't even like, it was convincingly. They, they had the opportunity to play other players. Mm-hmm. Like they had, they had, they had depth on the bench. The top, the, the number of five star, five, I mean, starting five for Gonzaga play an average of 30 minutes that game. Yeah. Only, only, <laughs> it was only a couple subs in from Gonzaga, but yeah. Baylor, Baylor played some guys. Baylor played at least like 10 people mm-hmm. coming off the court. So, I mean, that, that lets you know the depth, what they were doing. It was working. They were hot. They were getting offensive rebounds. They, they were, yeah, Gonzaga didn't have a chance. <laughs> And that's so sad because I had a You can tell so early because it just was, was like, you were thinking like, could they possibly get back in? And it just, even from, from the beginning of the second half, Baylor just was, they hit like two two early threes. And it just started off like them expanding their lead again. And it just seemed one of those games where Baylor, they, they pounce, you know, they just kind of like set the tone early and never let their foot off the gas. Pedal. No. And they, they, I think they wanted to make a point out of it as well. Yeah, because they probably heard this podcast and it was like, okay, so long, <laughs> we think we're not going to get to the get to the championship. I didn't have them getting to the championship. Well, yeah, that's true. We, we had Houston. Uh, you had Houston Gonzaga. Yeah, which was yeah, obviously a folly. <laughs> <laughs> The Gonzaga, the Gonzaga Houston game was even worse than this. I mean, oh my goodness! Like <laughs> Houston had no shot from like the first. No few chance. Minutes. I mean, goodness. <laughs> I forgot what uh, you um, Rashler. Uh, I think it was uh, no chance. That's what you got. Uh what's the Rashler's name? Anyway, it's not important, but it's funny. I thought it was <laughs> it fit right into 
we're talking about. <laughs> how how high does that Jalen Suggs game winner rank in terms of just like previous game winners you've seen? Like, do you feel as though it not being a championship take anything away from it? Because I mean, it still was a pretty spectacular type of finish. Yeah, I think he already knew he was going to make the shot. Oh yeah, I think he already yeah, had a plan. Yeah, he already had a plan of like, okay, I'm gonna get to the sweet spot, and I'm just gonna, because if you, I think he was aiming for the backboard. I think he knew he was gonna make it because even when he shot, he literally leaned. He started running towards the cardboard because yeah. no. He's fans. like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump on the table like Kobe and D-Wade. <laughs> right, there's no fans. There's a bunch of cardboards <laughs> over here, so I'm just gonna. I already know I made it, but no, I think it ranks high because that's 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 not an easy shot. It's definitely not, not an easy shot, but I just wish they would have capitalized on that momentum coming into yeah, it. would have been the perfect finish. Oh, for sure. His stock would have went up as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to the NBA and dealing with um, if Utah or Phoenix could possibly have a longer postseason run. Um, and these two two top teams in the West, um, you know, just played Wednesday night with the Suns winning by four at home in overtime and Devin Booker having 35 points along with Chris Paul. I'm having 29 points. Um, and both of these teams have unexpectedly been in the top tier of the West, and the Suns are trying to end up a playoff drought that, that's lasted more than a decade. Um, they've also beaten the Jazz twice overall this season, um, just lost to the Clippers um, last night. Uh, but between these two teams, like which one do you think is, is more likely to have a longer postseason run? Because this particular West postseason is going to be a very you know fascinating one because there's so many different teams that are having very good seasons. I mean, uh, Aaron Gordon, the Nuggets, they started off 7-0 seven, seven and oh in his first seven games. Um, there's a lot of really good teams in the West. Um, and, and even when LeBron and AD come back, you know, they're going to be at the top of that list. But yeah. between Utah and Phoenix, like, which one are you kind of liking more uh, heading into the postseason? I like Phoenix just because of who's leading them, Chris Paul. Well, I've, I've seen the Utah Jazz go on good runs in previous years, and they kind of, you know, decline in the, in the postseason, especially – in the bubble, the year before the bubble, it's just we never seen them get over that hump. They're they're in the same, I think, same uh conversation as the Denver Nuggets. It's like they're they're they don't have a, enough consistency where I'm like, okay, I'm convinced these guys, these guys are gonna be, you know, going to the Western Conference Finals, they're gonna go to the NBA finals, blase blase. I'm not sold sold on Donovan Mitchell. But I am sold on Devin Booker. I am sold on Chris uh, Chris Paul. I'm definitely sold on DeAndre Ayton. I still like him. I liked him coming out of, uh, I think it was Arizona. Arizona, yeah. Yeah. You, you were really having him. Yeah. I, oh, see, Wellington, you are the librarian. You remember, I remember these I remember things, these things. I got, I got to keep the catalog of full still episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still high. Up. I'm just waiting for him to reach his, his full potential. And I think, he, yeah. I, think he, I think he can do it. And with Chris Paul... As the leader, I think he do, but I think they have a, I have a, a decent enough depth. I think they they do well as a team. They play great mm. defense, in my opinion. They play great defense, and I didn't expect them to go this high. This is, I want to apologize again, Wellington, for the slander I gave Chris Paul. <laughs> it was definitely not him with the Clippers. It was definitely it was not our him first. With the it was our first big disagreement of the podcast. Yeah, I was like, he's he's done, man. Why you pay all this money from this old point guard? The guy is a game changer. He's a team changer. Yeah. He's an actual leader, and he still gets buckets. So I apologize again. And, and, and I mean, he had the opportunity. It was so interesting because in the offseason, he had the opportunity to go to the Lakers. Um, but it's almost like with this Suns team, he's really, like, enjoying and just kind of, like, really – accepting the fact that he can be a leader and see a, a guy like Devin Booker just finally get to a postseason and have like a new opportunity and show what he can really like do on full display. Like, do you think the fact that he was able to have this opportunity to lead like a very um, competent young team and, and especially a star like Devin Booker maybe appeal to him more than even going to a already like figured out championship team where they may have not been as open to his leadership? I think he want yeah, I think he wanted to add it to his legacy of being a great leader and taking yeah. a team like what he did with OKC. I don't think mm. any of the basketball. That was very that. impressive. I don't think, well, LeBron possibly. Well, not right. LeBron possibly. Yeah. LeBron could do that. But out of those high, high top tier guys, I only think a few of them can take a OKC young team, really young team 
bunch mm-hmm. of trades and bunch of just just uh, just a roster. I'm just calling them a roster because there's <laughs> no big names but Chris Paul yeah. and take them to the postseason, even if it was in, in the bubble. That's that's crazy. You have to have some type of wit, some type of greatness inside you to take a team like OKC to the postseason. And he's doing the same thing with the Suns. Even though they, I mean, they do have a a better lineup than OKC, but they just, I mean, he just adds that extra, the extraness that they need uh, to take them over the top. But yeah, Chris Paul. Chris Paul's the guy. Devin Booker still looks good. Chris Paul just dropped, what, 29 against against Utah? Utah, yeah, Wednesday night. 29 with nine assists, uh, four rebounds. Man, the the man's balling. Still doing it. He's still doing it. I think... I think they can go further than Utah. I just don't believe in Utah. I haven't seen it. Yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where you're just still waiting to see if Donovan Mitchell can take it to the next level. I mean, he, he obviously is a one of the best, you know, best young talents. It's just we see it in the in the regular. It's all it's almost like the Paul George thing. Like he's having a spectacular regular season, but I feel like some people are, are still not able to fully like buy buy into the Clippers this year. Because of the fact that even with new coaching and getting Rondo, it's like can they can they get over that hump in the postseason? And I, and they are definitely like a, a a really elite Western Conference team, but I'm I'm still not willing to take them over the Lakers or maybe even the Nuggets in a series. No, not yeah. at all, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, transitioning to uh, just the Pelicans and Hornets and uh, Mavericks young talent and just kind of like which team possibly has the best uh, um, with what they have going forward um it's interesting because you know with the hornets lamello he was having a, a rookie of the year caliber season he goes out um the mavericks from the beginning of the season they're having you know issues with covid and people being out and now they're i think seventh or sixth in the west and, and they're really you know clicking on all cylinders and they have uh, one of the easiest schedules in the west um remaining for the season but to, like for me particularly when i look at the pelicans it, they still have very a uh, very high amount of talent because you know Zion he still has the potential to be a top tier defender even though he had a, sh- a shaky uh defensive rookie season and then Lonzo his shooting has also taken a significant rise as at 39.2 percent a career best mark and then um, also Brandon Ingram is coming off a most improved uh player award from last year um but in terms of you know these three teams and, and you can even add, add another team that you think that I, that I didn't have, have in this list that you feel as though sh- should be have uh, should be considered to have the best young talent. Um, what team in particular do you feel as though has the best young talent going forward? I think the Mavericks, and mm-hmm. I wanted to say the Pelicans because I'm still I'm still big on Zion, but I just Luca, Josh, um, yeah, still Tim, Tim's still a young guy. I think he still has he's not he's coming off the bench, but I still think he's he's has so much talent left and. I like him off the bench because I think they started five is really, really good, especially with Porzingis healthy. Yeah. I don't know. That's, if a, big, should, that's a big uh, um, uh, factor in, in terms of what they can do if, if there's a healthy Porzingis. I don't know if we we, we can say Porzingis is young because in basketball years, he's, he's, he's a bit old. Two injuries. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the trade. I don't know that, that that adds on to basketball years, but I think the Mavericks, even with the with the, the start off with the COVID and some of the guys being kind of banged up, I'm 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 sold on Luca. I make this declaration. I'm sold on be. Luca. Gotta be. It's gonna oh, be Luca's. It's gonna be Luca's league in, in about a few years. Okay, well, come on, man. Get, come on, man. Well, I said, don't get cute with it. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think they're really good. They do have a they are, they do have an easy schedule. But no, what yeah, what I like true. about the Mavericks the most with their young guys, and I, I think it all kind of like highlights. Well, Josh came from um, either Josh came from the Suns or he came for from the was the Spurs. I think the Spurs. Yeah, the Spurs. He came. Okay, he went to the Suns, then the Spurs, and then he came over. Mm-hmm. He's still. He's an interesting basketball player to me because he's he's one of those guys who's not flashy. He's he's gonna give he's gonna give you like 15, 15 to 17 each game. He's gonna play phenomenal defense. But when it comes to Luca, everything shines on Luca. That's that's the, yeah, I don't know where he came from. I know where he came from, but he had to come from like Krypton or something. <laughs> 
And he just, I mean, I don't know. He Everything what he does, it works. His step backs, his, his jumpers and finishing at the rim. The yeah. guy's special and it seems like he's in slow motion. It but always it, feels that way. It always feels that way. <laughs> he has incredible basketball IQ to be yeah. that young. So I, I I have to lean towards more of the Mavericks just because I think they have way more younger stars. Like Porzingis, Tim, um, Josh Richardson. Who was uh who's pretty pretty dope coming out of college and then obviously Luca. Luca's really yeah. pretty dope. And I was joking about the it's gonna be Luca's league in a few years, but when you think not. about it, who do you like, like what player like whenever like, like LeBron like um transitions out of the league, like is there one guy that you think is gonna be like the next face of the league when when the next kind of like NBA tier comes in and it's just it's the like the twenty six and under guys headlining the league. Ooh, that's tough. The first thought was Zion, but no. Um, it to be completely honest with you, twenty six and under, it might be Luca. I don't, I don't see anybody. And else. Giannis is twenty six too. Giannis is also twenty six, so maybe. I thought Giannis was like twenty seven. Maybe twenty six. Yeah, he's twenty six. Well, Giannis is. It's Giannis. Yeah, it has to be Giannis. Yeah, it's Giannis, and then once I think it's I think it's going to be shared time. To be mm-hmm. honest with you. Yeah, because if you think about it now, like when LeBron, like it was still shared time between LeBron, between KD, between you know, it was it was shared time between who's like the face of basketball. It's still LeBron. It always went back and forth. It always went yeah, back and forth it always went seasons. back and forth. And the Steph for those back to back MVPs. Oh yeah, it was. He was. It was all Steph <laughs> from 2015 to 2016. Yeah. So it was. It was a share. I think it's gonna be shared. It's gonna be between Giannis, Luca, and I think. Dame's still gonna be around for a while. So I think yeah. I think Dame's gonna be uh one of those guys who who takes over and I think everybody's gonna continue try to continue to show how great a basketball player he is because he doesn't get any, get enough shine, especially with this this snub, this all-star stub that keeps continuing on. Like what's going on? But goodness, I think it's gonna be shared time. Then Zion to get his. I think when Zion fully goes into his his full repertoire, and he continues to work on certain things like LeBron did. Like LeBron was not the best shooter coming in, and then now he he'll drop a three pointer in your face. He look, roll the ball, look at it, <laughs> and step back and shoot. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. He'll look down at. <laughs> that's when you know he's gonna step back. <laughs> I would just hit it right there. Like I'm not about to wait for you to drive. But yeah, I think everybody's gonna be a shared time. Who's gonna be the face of the NBA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and transitioning to our music reviews, first off with um, LMA's LMA um, debut album and just thoughts on how this worked for early exposure. Um, this project came out in 2018 and has been deemed by some as a, a, as a throwback R&B album. Um, she pays homage to 90s commercial R&B and then uh, Mustard's own hip hop signatures while also bringing in new sounds. Um, her songwriting, you know, is also refined and unexpected at times, especially in songs like Shot Clock which is one of the, you know, strongest tracks in this debut and dealing with the relationship ultimatum. Um, but kind of like, what were your some of your takeaways from LMA's opening project? And, you know, when you look at other artists like her, Daniel Caesar and Georgia Smith, they're, they're able to use nostalgic, soulful sounds as a baseline for their music. And, you know, she's able to, to also do the same thing as well. Hmm. Ella May. Ella, Ella, Ella May. Uh-oh. Starting off slow. No, I was just just thinking about how I, I just want to you know come back to full circle where I saw her on Facebook doing covers to songs, mm-hmm. and um and I was like, yo, she has an amazing voice. And then hearing "Booed Up" and then hearing "Love Me Naked" and those so you know those, those different subtle sounds and figure, finally figuring out she's from like like I guess London or whatever yeah, part of London. where she's from. I'm like, what? She's not, <laughs> she's not from America, <laughs> but no, this album, this album is really, really dope because it it gave like gut feeling was one of my favorites. Mm. Shot clock was one of my what you call it with Chris Brown with Chris Brown. Cheap shot was a dope one too. Yeah, and then her adding naked to it, love me naked, yeah. love me naked is just such a vibe, and I love the concept. You know, I'm big on concepts, Wellington. Oh yeah, and th- this entire album was really, really dope. From I think from the production, her voice, I don't hear anybody like her. Once again, she has a unique voice, a unique sound. I love the way she ends her song. Sometimes uh, her poetry sometimes gets me. I'm like, okay, you didn't have to add the poem. Yeah, that's I I was, love- so for some of them, I was like, it's not really necessary. <laughs> 
we know you're a writer, baby. You don't have to do it, baby. But uh, no, I saw some bones. Some of the bones are really, really dope. And I'm like, okay, she wants just to just put a, a little cherry on top. Most people don't like cherries, so. But I think all around, this was a dope album. I think the features was really dope. She, Chris Brown, John Legend, her. I mean, that's, that's all you need, for real. For and those songs, all yeah. all three of those songs hit. So yeah, her voice is amazing. She's unique. Like her her style, how she, you know, just just everything. Like this album is one you don't skip songs on. Yeah, it, it's really not. And, and even her latest, her latest single, I think it was from last year, not, not another love song. In terms mm-hmm. of just the latest songs that you've heard from her, do you feel as though she's going to still be kind of trending in that same direction of her in her next project where she's still kind of putting out the same type of, yeah, I, I know she's gonna expand, but do you kind of yeah. feel as though she's gonna still try to stay in the same lane she was in for for the, from this debut? What what I what I don't want to happen is her, because music is it's so many artists in music, it's so many artists. So yeah. she's not dropping music. I haven't heard anybody say anything about LMA. It's all about SZA. Yep. Everybody wants her music, like. Nobody's yearning for her music, and that's 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 bad because Bryson when Bryson people, Tiller people should be clamoring, people should be clamoring yes. for, for a new music. Yeah. Yes, because when Bryson Tiller dropped Trap Soul, we waited for another album. Mm-hmm. Was, he dropped, you know, and then when um, Daniel Caesar had his first album, it was like okay, next album will go be dope, which it wasn't. And 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 it goes on. Each artist, once you have a good album, then people are like okay. We were ready for more music, but I haven't heard anybody say, and I think it's because she doesn't have a TikTok song. Mm. And I think TikTok is directing and helping DJs, helping the listeners find new music. You mean like a, a trendy type of song? Yes, yeah, a trendy, trendy type yeah. of song that people like. Because SZA has, everybody's doing this one this one dance to the, a sample song that she's been working on, and it hasn't been released. I even looked for it. I was like, oh, that's a new song? I was like, oh, that's fire, but it hasn't been released it's yet. It's not even out yet. <laughs> it's not even out yet. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait till that come out. Boom. Yeah. That's how you exactly. got it. That's how you do it. TikTok that's how you reel them in. Boy, what TikTok is helping so many artists right now, and it's super crazy. And I'm not on that wave. I don't know why. I just, I don't know. I just can't do it. It's like what? last year or Tootsie Slide. It's like last year or Tootsie Slide. <laughs> like exactly. Drake knew, like, I'm not going to drop an album, but I'm going to get a song that's going to have people going for, for months. Like the song Corvette, Corvette. TikTok mm, song yeah. blew up. Um, she's a runner. She's a track star. That Mooski. song is actually yeah. trash. The that the little snippet right there is really good, but the song altogether is not that good. I was so upset. I was like, "She a runner. She a track star." Uh, he sounded like he was straining, and I was like, "Oh man, you just messed this up for me." Because <laughs> I'm on TikTok, like, "Yo, this song is fire." Then I listen to the real. Thing. You look it up. <laughs> yeah, it, it's helping so many. Yeah, so. I think she's going to be left behind. When she drop, drops the album or whatever, I think people are gonna still going to gravitate, but not as strong as it was before it was anticipation from Booed Up to Naked. And then she dropped the album. Everybody loved it. Look at Jasmine Sullivan. Jasmine Sullivan has been in the game for a long time. When she dropped her album, everybody went crazy because TikTok was talking about it. Everybody's putting songs, her live stuff. She was at the Super Bowl. Like... She's allowing other artists coming. Even Queen Najee is so dope. We need to do something on her. Queen oh, yeah, Najee's music we got to do review on her. Really yeah. dope. Yeah. And I think she's going to allow other artists to come in and just take that. But I don't know. Maybe they have a plan. I think when does she when she does drop music, I think people still will like it, but it won't be as high in, impactful or I guess anticipated as other um artists music. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, transitioning to Sabrina Claudio's debut, About Time. Um, this debut album from her was in 2017, and it deals with you know the intersection of love, growth, and time that uh, permeates. And this was a follow-up to her well-received, confidently lost EP. Um, the two extremely recognizable singles that uh, preceded it were Unravel Me and Belong to You. And this whole project just has a hazy, sonic feel and, and, and a lot of lyrical content. Um, but what are your overall thoughts on About Time? And also, do you feel as though Sabrina Claudio has um, even maybe more vocal presence than some of her contemporaries? I absolutely love her voice. Man. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. It's angelic. The amount and of my- times I, li- I used to listen to this album, man, it's, it's kind of... Yeah, yeah. Like, how, how often did you listen to this album? Before I even get into what, like... Man, like, 
three or four times, five times a week. <laughs> I mean, this, this was on, this was on, this was on literal repeat, but like stand still. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, 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 like belong to you. Even, even the one, even uh, the remix that she did with it. It's just, it's just top of the line music from her. And, and I've always felt as though she kind of has such a distinct voice that is kind of really separate, separates her from some of her other contemporaries. Boy, you said it. Belong, especially belong to you. Oh yeah. man, she has a way that I don't know. She she can say one word and she can stretch that thing and shape it and make it sound so good. She can say literally one word for the next sixteen bars, and I will not care. She can say spaghetti and she can <laughs> sing spaghetti and make it sound so good in her like backups and how she places everything it will sound so she has a, a way to shape words and make words come out into the entire just the entirety yo like it's it's, it's crazy a lot of artists can't do that i think one artist i'm just gonna give you usher can make words oh, do yeah. some crazy stuff and i Definitely. don't understand how they do it i'm trying to find it and i haven't found it yet <laughs> and well, listen. If you have the answer, please let me know. But no, she she has a way about how she how she uses her words. I just, I don't know, man. It's 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 dope music. It's a vibe. Yeah. Her concepts are really good. I mean, she's beautiful too. So I mean that. That's, I mean that that, that adds to it. That adds. I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, it's just listed four or five times a week. So I mean, it's not just because of her. Come on, know, it's, it's not just because of the voice. Stop. I'm just gonna tell you that. That's <laughs> just the. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not replaying just because of the. <laughs> but um, oh, okay, yeah. If you had, what would be your top three from this one, or or, or the ones you go back and, and, and you'd say that you would listen to the most? I, I would still have stand stand still. Yeah. Used to and belong to you. That, that's kind of my top three. But what would be kind of your personal top? Belong to you, mm. used to and wait. I love the Afro beat. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, that was that was wavy. I like that. I like how she did that. Yeah, but Belong to You is definitely my favorite. That's the one I've heard first. It was like a playlist or something. And because Apple Music sends you like playlists or whatever of new music. And I, mm. I played that. And I was like, yo, who is this? Who is this lady? And, the, and after that, I started listening to music. Like I love her song with, um, what is this song? She has one with Khaled. It's called uh, Don't Let Me Down. I love oh, yes. from um yeah it's a single don't let me down I love don't yeah 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 matter of fact when we get our dumbest podcast I'm playing that <laughs> on the monitors I don't care if my neighbors hear it I'm gonna play it <laughs> yeah absolutely um but we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Kill Bill Volume Two review. Welcome back to the show and now we're getting into our Kill Bill Volume Two review. Start with the overview, Kill Bill Volume 2 is a 2004 martial arts film written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring Uma Thurman as the bride who continues her campaign of revenge against the Deadly Vipers assassination squad. Um, Lucy Liu, Michael Madsen, Daryl Hannah, and Vivica Fox, and their leader, Bill, um, played by David uh, Carradine, who tried to kill her and her unborn child. It had a budget of 30, 30 million and brought in 152.2 million in the box office. Um, also had an 84% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And, um, you know, we reviewed the first one back in January and looking at it now in terms of the sequel, what were your initial thoughts of this adding extra plot and dialogue to the action heavy uh, sequences um, of volume one? A lot of blood. <laughs> a lot of <laughs> yeah. blood, a lot of violence. I love it. I think this was a one of the most anticipated uh, sequels. To a lot of, uh, to to film because Kill Bill Volume One killed, and then they were like, okay, we got to have Kill Bill Kill Bill Volume Two. So I was just when I saw it was was going, my dad was like, I want to watch Kill Bill Volume Two. Uh, is it Scott Blue Pops? <laughs> <laughs> Let's watch it then, baby. But no, what, what my first initial thoughts, I like how they tied everything back together. I like how they went back into like different when she was got taught by her or whatever her master or sister whatever. And I just, I like how they plugged in different things and how they use the black and white because he loves black and white. And just, I just, how it ties back everything into Kill Bill Volume 1. So it was no unanswered questions. So that was the dopest thing about Kill Bill Volume 2. Besides, I mean, her getting her vengeance and how she got her vengeance. Yeah. Really dope. 
Yeah. And also in terms of just like sequels having anticipation, this one, like you said, had one of the biggest amounts of anticipation. Like, do you think when a film has that, especially for a director like Tarantino, do you think there's more pressure to, to make it, you know, even possibly more captivating than the first one? Or do you think it's one of those things where he just realizes he just has to tie in all the loose ends to make it possibly even deemed as a superior work of art than, than the original? I think I think that right there, I think when, when you have a, uh, a project or a movie that people love, I don't think you steer too, too much away from why people loved it. So he mm-hmm. tied in everything. He didn't leave any unanswered questions. And then he still added the, the gory blood, the scenes, different fight scenes for different people. I love how it was one-on-one except for the crazy 88 stuff. <laughs> Besides that, I think everything was like one-on-one, even with, um, what's her name? Ah, geez, 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 geez. When she poked her eye out the second time. No, the, the her sensei did it, and then she got the second eye. And that was just like really dope. Um, what's her name? Was it uh, L Drive uh, L Driver? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the, L Driver, the, yeah, 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 yeah. With the eye patch, I, I love that. It's just like those different one on one scenes. The, he didn't steer too. He didn't steer away from why people love the first movie. He just added to it, answered all the questions, gave us the fight scenes that we we, we longed for, gave us the re, the the I guess the uh, reunion with her and her daughter. And then mm-hmm. with we finally got to see where they were. It's just like everybody's want to help her. It's just like everything. It was yeah, everything tied back in. He didn't steer too away for while we loved the first one. Yeah, absolutely. And transitioning to our first topic from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, I would definitely give it four. As it as we've said, it filled in the emotional and motiv- motivational blanks from volume one, and there was just elite storytelling, even though it it didn't have um the same gritty action. Um, from from the original that we got, there was more dialogue in this one. The dialogue was kind of essential to make us understand um, the origin story. But from one to four stars, uh, what would you give it? Definitely four. Definitely four. I think this is one film that got it right the second time. Even like the it like it was better than the first film, and I think that's that's rare when it comes to sequels. So I think Tarantino got this one right. Give me four stars for it, and let's keep it trucking. I mean, it's also rare to to, to get to, to to even have a sequel that you deem better than the original. Because so many times when you have a, a great a great franchise, I think like possibly the only other two franchises that could have that would be maybe The Godfather or um, franchises like The Matrix, where you kind of have a possibly better um, uh, uh, sequel. And this one definitely had that. Transitioning to favorite character, um, I personally would have Bill as he had just so many pump, uh, you know pontificating monologues as he finally appeared on screen in this one. And then for volume one, he was an unseen character. Um, he just, to me, overall had so much command and presence with every quote he gave. And this was this was the buildup that we were looking for for the entire movie and plot line and, and storyline. And he really uh, delivered that. So you kind of like, who was your um, favorite character from volume two? I don't, I don't know why, but Bud. I think Bud was mm. my favorite character because he was a piece of trash. He worked at this... This, this bar and he lived in a trailer outside in just middle of nowhere but he was a stone cold killer and he knew he was super smart and he knew she was coming he sat there so she's opened that door <laughs> she blew <Yeah>. it. <laughs> he blew her chest off and it just it just made it was just funny and then how he died he died because it, it was just like I don't know he was my favorite character because one he was the the, the brother of Bill so I know mm-hmm. how it feels to be, you know, saying the shadow was another brother. And then just him, just, I don't know, money hungry and him die by a black mama, which is really funny. Tough way to go out. Tough, Tough way, way to go, to go out. out. <laughs> Tough way to go out. Um, but just think the most memorable scenes, um, I had that woman deserves her revenge scene where Bill warns his brother, um, but about the eventual bride mm-hmm. um, out of the grave. You know, that's, that was an amazing scene where, you know, the bride uses punching technique, learn from the how made to escape being buried alive. And as we mentioned, tough way to go out, but, but with the black mamba and then uh, being killed by, by uh, Ellie Driver. Um, the trailer fight um, where the bride and Ellie Driver have a knockdown drag out fight in a trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman and Clark Kent where Bill explains to the bride his theory about alter egos. 
And then finally, the I over overreacted scene, um, Bill explaining why he treated the bride so badly. Um, to you, kind of like, what was your overall most memorable scene? All of those are amazing. I like the scene where he found her at the church, and they oh like, yeah the the step closer. They were the step. I love that shot, and then the pan up, and it's just like, how did you find me? Like it's just like. Mm. Just goes to how bad of a guy this is to show his face and sit in the back while the wedding is going on and then kill everybody. At least he talked to her first. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at least he got that out the way. <laughs> Yo, I said that was like so crazy. How do you do that? You look her in the face, know she's pregnant, and then still yeah. want to kill her. Not you kill her, but you have all these assassins come in here and kill everybody. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, transitioning. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, transitioning to most memorable quotes. Um, I had Clark Kent and Superman's critique on the whole human race from Bill. Um, can't we just forget the past? Uh, another one from Bill. You and I. Uh, you and I have unfinished business from the bride. You don't have a future. Another one from the bride. And then finally, that woman deserves her revenge, and we deserve to die. Um, from Bud. Uh, uh, to you, kind of like what was maybe one or two of your most memorable quotes um, from Volume Two. Ooh, uh, the overreacted one. Yeah. Um, when she was reading, <laughs> she was reading oh, yeah. the, the, the Venom to Bud, and she kept flipping. I can't remember what she said, but that, that entire sequence of words, her just naming that stuff out, and then how did she fall for the hand from a something, something like you? And then she was like, like, yo, like, yo, <laughs> that's your boyfriend, brother. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> and then when when Beatrice Kiddo came out of the, the West Com and then she asked for some water, that was really, that was really funny. Mm -hmm. The first thing she had, like, this dirt just flying off her. She's oh, yeah. And the guy's like, looking at her like, who is what? this coming? <laughs> and she said it so light, politely. Can I get I have a glass of water? water? <laughs> glass of water. I have been. That was a good <laughs> yeah, she said it just like that same cadence and bitch. She's like, can I get a cup of water? <laughs> I would ask um, for some food, shoot. Forget yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> ask for a full burger. <laughs> right. Um, but before we get to uh, what did you like the most about the storyline, there there has been an overwhelming, like, or reoccurring sentiment with some of Tarantino's films that they feel as though, that some critics feel as though he can be too extreme Obviously, uh, with this one, with both volumes being extremely violent, there was some of that sentiment and, and maybe some of even his past movies like Django Unchained and just impossibly mm -hmm. going too far. Like, do you think that is an accurate sentiment or a proper sentiment to have with some of Tarantino's films or that this is kind of like the way he goes about to accomplish what he's trying to convey for his viewers? I think it's both. I think when it comes to movie making and becoming a director and a producer, you have to leave the everlasting... Uh, effect on your audience. It has to be something. It could be a subtle line. It could be uh, the dialogue. It could be the gory. We always know Tarantino's movie is going to have a lot of gory blood. It's going to be mm -hmm. over dramatized <laughs> with the bullets. Yeah. It's just the swords <laughs> of blood everywhere. It's just cut up limbs. That's his MO. And I know he's been in so many interviews where he's like, he's tired of talking about why he has so much violence in his movie or whatever. The he's he's really annoyed by it at this point. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes, he is. He doesn't like being asked that question anymore because he's talked about it a million times, he said. But I think that's his everlasting effect. And how he shoots his movies is another mm -hmm. way of him, people understanding how good of a, a producer and director he is because how he shoots his movies is outdated, but he still uses to his abilities and they work on top of having violence. So he has a formula to make a good film. I think that's why he chooses... He chooses the right script to make a movie off of. And this, he got it right with this one. Definitely. I think all his films, he has some great, some good films, but this, I think definitely is his top three best film. I think oh, we yeah. did that already, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the first volume, we kind of went over like, what was, uh, did this go in the top three? And we definitely put it up there. Do you think, because uh, um, from the, from recent news, it, it, you know, he wants to just only make, he wanted to only make 10 films and I think he's got one more remaining. Is there anything left that you want to see from Tarantino? Like anything different that you haven't seen so far? Or is it just one of those things where you feel as though any movie he puts out, it, it's definitely going to be like a clamoring type of project and people are going to be excited to see it? 
I think so, but I, I really want him to like do like a family movie that turned bad. Like, mm. I don't know, because he he's done everything from Desperado, the good guitarist, it was like from Mariachi or whatever, and then he did Once Upon a Time in Mexico. So we had those films. He did uh, Pulp Fiction. He did a Pulp Fiction. Like, I want him to do like a family film, throw everybody off. Then he did uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was kind of different. It was subtle, yeah. and then it got crazy. I want a family movie just like that. Like a Spy Kids Gone Wrong. <laughs> right? That would be dope. That, that would be, be so dope. Because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was like so bland until the last 20, 25, 25, 30 minutes of the film. I mean, we showed the Bruce. Just imagine, if the whole just imagine if the whole movie was like that. <laughs> exactly. Well, what? That's normally his film. So when I was watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I was like, okay, this is, this is different. Okay, and then whoa, huh? What? Huh? What the? <laughs> what's going on here? It's just church. So I want him to see like a family film, and then the dad is like a spy or something. His go like those, crazy. those last thirty minutes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are why Terrence. It's why Terrence, you know, the way he is perceived. That is the why. The way if you wanted to see, just watch the last thirty minutes. That was a crazy sequence of events, man. And then the end is so like low. Him finally meeting the director of who he said he, I'm, I'm living right next to a director, and he finally gets to meet him. <laughs> so that was, I guess, that was a, a dope uh, last end of scene. But I want to see him do like a family film or something that turns. Back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? Um, to me, how it focused more on the characters and expanded the uh, context and origin story mm -hmm. of the dynamic between uh, Beatrix and Bill was a very fascinating uh, subplot and element. Um, what in particular from this one did you like uh, the most in terms of the storyline? I think you just stole, but I'll, I'll add to that. I love how you answer all the questions. I love how even when Bill killed, like, you know, playing all this stuff or whatever, he still never let the daughter not remember who she was. And that when she came in, she said, mommy, she knew who her mom was. I love that. It was like a little yeah. slice of heaven. And then her, like, I don't know, it, it had that element of this is what she wanted all along. She just wanted to be her daughter. But her vengeance has to come first. She loved these moments, but I still got to kill you. And then even after she killed mm. Bill, ha ha ha, fruition. If, after she killed Bill with the, the five <laughs> pun intended, pun intended. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It still kind of have her like crying in the bathroom, like, yo, I finally did it. I finally got my daughter. Like, I don't know. It's just outside the violence, I think he still implements the family aspect, the what's the priority aspect, what's what's bigger than what. And then when you finally get it, it's overwhelming. So I don't know. He just adds those different those elements that you wouldn't think a violence film or like an action film like this would have. And I, I really thought that was really dope. And on top of him answering all the, leaving no unanswered questions, and tying in the new the characters and how would everything happened, the backstory, and then still giving us the violence and the fight scenes and stuff like that. So that's really hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. So. I didn't ask you this for the last one, but with the bride and the crazy 88s, in terms of the best fight sequences, is that the top one? Is that still the top one? Yeah, crazy 88 is definitely the, the top. It's got to be a top one. It's and then, top and then the, the fight, <laughs> and then the fight in the cold. <laughs> that was that was a good one. Um, but yeah, the crazy 88 was definitely the, the best fight. That was uh, man. Yo, that was that was otherworldly. Otherworldly. How do you get through that? And she went through a lot of people to get to her. Oh yeah. So yeah, that was definitely yeah. the scene. It, it, it was definitely the climax uh, of, of the series. Um, transitioning to our last topic, ten years from now, do you still think this will be watchful and intriguing? Um, I, I like whenever you have a film like this, and especially with Uma Thurman leading it, and you have the anticipation of a sequel that actually, like we said, it reaches the expectations and kind of surpasses it. Um, as many, um, it, it, I'm not going to say many, but there is a. a, a particular group that feels as though this is the better film and some may still feel, feel as though the original is better. Um, it's kind of a divided 50-50 split, but how it expands like the, the subplot and the origin story along with really tying in together all the loose ends. I feel as though whenever you have a sequel like that, it's going to be watchful and intriguing when you have um, a, a, a theme and storyline like this. But to you, um, another 10 years from now, 10 years from now, what do you think will kind of continue to make this watchful and intriguing? 
the violence. <laughs> mm. No, I think yeah. I think the storyline in itself, um, ex assassin, yeah, gets killed by a lover for her running away or not explaining why she did the thing she did, and she didn't want to be a part of that life anymore. So I think in that, and then you'll realize, yo, this this film really leaves no unanswered questions, which is rare in sequels or just films in general, like you'd be like, damn, yeah. like what you're, happened? You're, like, everybody's you're... always wanting to have more from, from a from a last ending answer. You didn't you didn't have any more questions after this. Not at all. And then I, I think the, the cast was really dope from from um perfect the, cast. Yeah from Vivier Fox, Lucy Liu, Lucy Liu, every Uma Thurman, everybody down the line. And then it's yeah. a Quentin Tarantino film. So we don't get many of those. He say he want to do 10. So I think him doing this is super special because people are anticipating when it's going to be the next Quentin Tarantino film. He does not miss. He's Drake right now. He yeah. does not. I don't think any film he's made can't miss. Yeah, not at all. Man, that is that is a headline. Quentin That's Tarantino a- is the Drake of filmmaking. He has <laughs> That's to be. a bar. He has not missed. Bro. Like, yeah. He has not missed. So it's him having his catalog and knowing what the films he's done and this is just... It hitting every single time and not yeah I mean this this I mean this film it was 04. I mean this yeah, is it's, it's over it's just, people are still watching this over yeah. and over and over it's a long I mean it's not too long it's not Zack Snyder's cut long but not um, that far for anybody who listens to that podcast <laughs> I commend you <laughs> it's not I commend you <laughs> it's not interstellar long but you know it, yeah. it has a good link to it but I think when people watch this film I think it's it really has that a kid will change you or having a family will change you and I remember I, I should have said this scene when the guy lady Asian lady blew a hole in the door and uh <laughs> they talked it was like I'm pregnant oh yeah that scene yeah, that was a dope scene. Like she realized, I don't want to see. I don't want my kid to be in this life. So, oh yeah. no, it was an one answer question. I lied. Vivica Fox. Uh oh. Uh oh. She was like, Oh my goodness. That's that would the, a, oh, would she grow up and yeah, 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 and take over and and right the wrongs? Good. That it's right there. That's the one. It's right there. And then her daughter. Gonna be the same age, like oh my also the goodness. same age. Mm, Tarantino. But I don't think he wants to touch that. I don't think he wants nah. to touch it though. I wouldn't. But I think it's good to, you know, speculate like, oh, that would be a good film. Forget spy kids gone wrong. That's the film we need. <laughs> <laughs> That's the film we need, Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that wraps it up for today. I'm your host, Winsor Burns, Lama Counterpart Save on Morris. This has been full scope. See you later.